0: They said that, oh, net zero is only going to cost 1% to 2% of GDP. People are beginning to realize this This isn't going to be cheap. And in fact, it's going to be disastrously expensive.
1: Just what would achieving net zero actually look like?
0: We're all being told we have to have smart meters in our homes. And that will give central government the ability to switch off appliances in your home when the wind isn't blowing.
1: In this episode, I sit down with Andrew Munford, the director of Net Zero Watch and author of The Hockey Stick Illusion.
0: So the whole machinery of government stops being about serving the people
1: and it is about directing the people. This is American Thought Leaders and I'm Yanya Jankjelic. Andrew Munford, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Thank you very much for having me. Andrew, I'm very excited to speak with you. It's actually been a long time coming. I've been following your work for some time. I thought we have kind of a perfect opportunity here because on the one side, we have uh, the White House, the U.S. administration has rolled out a report talking about things, for example, such as reducing the amount of sunlight by introducing material into the atmosphere. And secondly, uh, you also have this uh, new paper that came out looking at recent NASA climate models. Let's start with these, uh, you know, I guess blotting out the sun would be the glib way of saying it. Uh, What's your reaction to this? Um,
0: I think my reaction would be that they're they're completely mad. Um, These ideas get floated um, from time to time. I I can remember years back, they were talking about um, building huge mirrors in space to reflect some of the uh, the the sun's light back um away from the earth. Um and yeah, that was no more sensible than this idea. Um there was another one recently in the UK where they talked about um filling the sea um um with some sort of a chemical that was going to make the 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 seaweed grow and that would capture lots of carbon dioxide, extract it from the water and things. Um the, these ideas are I'm not sure whether they're anything more than uh, perhaps virtue signaling or, or 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 just trying to get headlines, that kind of thing. I can't see I can't see that this is ever going to get off the ground.
1: Let's talk about Net Zero Watch, your organization, because uh, I want to give people a sense of where you're actually coming from when you're uh, when uh, in terms of your response here.
0: Okay, so Net Zero Watch has been around um, for a couple of years. We actually operated under a different name for a few years before that. We're a campaigning organization based in London. We're here to ask all the questions about net zero that the mainstream media on the whole would rather people weren't asking. So we've concentrated very much on um, the cost of net zero. Um, My my background, I'm actually an accountant by training, so I can question the claims that people make on on the financial uh, side fairly easily. Um, And up until a couple of years ago, we were, I would say, moderately unsuccessful. The press didn't want to talk to us. I think when the um, the COVID pandemic started and, and lockdowns started, and, and also particularly with the Ukraine war, um, when energy prices shot up, we suddenly started to get a lot of traction. Suddenly, the media wanted to speak to us all the time. One of the things we've suffered from a great deal is is that we have been demonised, if you like, by um, environmentalists um, and green activists to the extent that a lot of people in the mainstream media um, have become frightened to speak to us because they know that if they do speak to us, if they do publish our views, there will immediately be a complaint to the regulator. I'm not sure if you're your uh, viewers are aware we have a press regulator in the uk um who um in actual fact is not awful they, they you know they're not really crushing dissenting views but um the process is the punishment um the poor old journalist has to spend months putting together um, um a defense of, of of the fact that they have um, um, given us airtime and that has been enough to frighten them off to the extent that they don't really want to talk to us very much anymore.
1: But to make a long story short, I mean, your cause, so to speak, is to take an honest look at the impacts of these net zero policies of a variety of sorts that we've seen come up, especially in recent years.
0: Correct. Um, as I say, we, we are focusing particularly on the costs of net zero. So um, we've done a lot of work. Um, reviewing the calculations that um the bureaucrats um in in london have have put together you know um we have um, our committee on climate change which is essentially the government's official advisors on this subject they said that oh net zero is only going to cost one to two percent of gdp and we, we went and and we spent a couple of years trying to get the underlying calculations under freedom of information and when we did, they were embarrassing. They were absolutely fake. I mean, the the um, the the one that I particularly enjoyed was the fact that they said you could buy an electric vehicle for eleven thousand pounds. Now, today, now if you go into a, into a, into a car dealership today, you won't get one for under twenty five. Um, and it, it's 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 that sort of nonsense that. Um, allowed them to come up with these, these very low estimates of the cost. I don't think anybody believes them anymore. You, you, there are, there are you, some of the big accountancy firms have come up with with estimates of the cost of net zero that are much much higher now. And I, th- I think people are beginning to realise that this this isn't going to be cheap, and in fact it's going to be disastrously expensive. Um, the, the the interesting thing that that I've started to do is to try to compare the cost. To the cost of global warming which you know, there's a there's a figures are banded around for what global warming will cost you know, what a ton the release of a ton of uh, carbon dioxide is supposed to um, cause well i mean in the u.s government's official estimate i think it's around about a hundred dollars of damage now we're spending twice that amount trying to decarbonize our electricity system already it's it's costing 200 pounds a ton of carbon dioxide already, and we're not even finished yet, and it's going to get harder. So it shows that what we're doing is fundamentally irrational. And there's there's some very interesting questions around why we are doing things that are demonstrably irrational.
1: So one of the things that actually concerns me about uh, this White House report is that there's kind of a, a number of different technologies that could be used to Actually, you know, prevent the full radiation of the sun, um, you know, reaching the Earth and ostensibly causing this global warming effect, which they're trying to deal with. And it's not entirely clear to me that these technologies—that that would be the only thing these technologies would do. This is, you know, f- feels to me like experimentation on a vast scale uh, with kind of unknown results. I don't know what your thoughts would be on that.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think um, climate scientists are rather hubristic about this. They think that they understand the climate system completely and that they think that, um, therefore, they understand the full effect of these kinds of of geoengineering um, measures. I think the reality is that they have only the flimsiest understanding of the climate system and that there are whole areas in which they know very little indeed. I mean, you can you, uh, you point to clouds as an obvious example, but they, they, scientists have found that clouds almost impossible uh, to model. Um, and these are a very important part of the climate system. So when they say that they, they're they going to put dust in the atmosphere to, to reduce um, the amount of incoming solar radiation, I think they have no idea what effect that will have at all. It's potentially um, a huge experiment with the climate system um, and with potentially disastrous consequences. Um, I hope sense will prevail and that um, uh, nothing will come of the idea. But um, these days, you just don't know, do you?
1: So this is a perfect opportunity for us to talk about modeling. Your paper about the net recent NASA modeling really caught my attention because it draws attention to, you know, I guess potential problems with models and and just the fact that we have this inordinate uh, level of confidence in models which often can have very spurious uh, variables in them. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So We have just uh, published uh, a very short paper um, which um, reviews some of the underlying computer code from NASA's Model E climate model. Um, And now I've been doing climate for the best part of 15 years now. Um, And even I was shocked at how poor um, the, the modeling is. What, what the paper shows is that um, in, in certain areas of the climate system, they are unable to work out what is going wrong. They're getting answers that are, that are daft, but they can't work out how to fix it. So one example is um, they, have, um, they keep getting cloud cover percentages, so the proportion of the sky that is covered in cloud, but the proportion goes negative, and they can't work out why. So all they do is they stick in a line of code that says, if it goes negative, well, make it just a bit positive. And but of course, clouds are the most important feedback in the climate system. So that will have huge knock on effects on the predictions that come out of the climate model. Um, so, yeah, the, the the climate modeling is extremely poor. Um, and it's not of course, it's not just climate modeling. You know, This is this is um, quite similar to things we saw in the pandemic, isn't it? Um, At the start of the pandemic i spent a lot of a lot of time um tracking um the predictions of deaths in the uk we were meant to be getting tens of thousands of deaths and that was why we all had to be locked up but within two days of the predictions being issued um the actual number of deaths was already outside the um the uncertainty it um levels um in the prediction um it's, it's a general subject, I think, that politicians are, are much too inclined to believe what scientists tell them based on on computer models. And, and scientists are, are, are kidding themselves that they can predict the future, and they really can't.
1: You know, you're just reminding me uh, of something. I remember seeing a video clip of, I, I believe it was a UK scientist, in fact. Um, a modeler who was you know speaking with uh, an interviewer and who didn't feel he had a particular amount of accountability for um, creating a model that dramatically overestimated the death toll, okay? did you do you remember this? yeah,
0: I, I, I imagine um, that would be um, professor Ferguson who who um, prepared the model that that, essentially led to the lockdown because um um, it said we were going to be having hundreds of thousands of deaths within a few months time um and yeah these people aren't accountable because if the if the the forecasts turn out to be completely wrong well that's good news isn't it um (laughs) the number of deaths wasn't nearly as nearly as bad as we thought they were i mean it's worse in many ways for um for people modeling things like pandemics, because, of course, um, they get found out fairly quickly. Um, for climate modelers, they're making predictions about 50 years in the future or 100 years in the future. And, and um, so they're never going to be held to account for those um, predictions for when they go wrong. But the steps that we are proposing to take, as, as we've already said, I mean, if, we, if we're talking about trying to change the, cl- the climate through you know, geoengineering, um, these are potentially catastrophic. I mean, the things that would make um, the effects of lockdown look like a walk in the park. Um, you know, This is much, much more serious, but they are much less accountable.
1: You know, and it's very interesting that you mention uh, the COVID uh, modelling as well, because I, I think that as a result of the you know, inevitable accountability. I mean, I think there's still some people out there that maybe believe these original COVID models were real, which is, I suppose, another subject we could discuss later. But, um, but you know, the abject failure of these models, which dramatically overestimated the human cost, I think that caused a lot of people to actually start thinking about these climate models as well. That's what I've heard, at least.
0: Yeah. A lot of people have, if you like, been red-pilled by um, um, the failure of the COVID models. And they are now starting to ask whether um, um, the, 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 the climate models are similarly flawed. Um, this has been very helpful for us um, because it has essentially helped um, um, detoxify our brand. You know, I said the environmentalists have spent a lot of time trying to make our brand toxic. and But there are a lot of people now who want to hear what we've got to say um so that has been very important there are a lot of covid skeptics who are now also climate skeptics even i I've, I've seen people who are, have essentially been vitriolic about climate skeptics in the past now saying oh well maybe this this climate change stuff isn't isn't as bad as um, i thought it was maybe maybe they did have a point so yeah th- this has been another factor in in changing uh, the conversation about climate in the uk
1: We've seen a lot of movement towards, I mean, in, in the US, it's called the Green New Deal. I think in the UK, it might even be called the Green Deal as well. Um, essentially, a whole series of policies uh, that have been impl- already being implemented in different ways. You know, you have Germany, you know, shutting down all its nuclear reactors, which is, again, kind of is strange to me, given what I know about, you know, emissions and nuclear. But but I, I guess the point is I, I want to get a sense from you, you know, where we're at today and um, what are the costs of the impl- already the, 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 the societal costs of the implementation of some of these policies because obviously this is this is your bread and butter, I guess.
0: Yeah, so th- the big picture of the policies is that, that um, we We are planning to completely decarbonize the economy. so that means essentially electrify everything, get rid of fossil fuels, replace re- replace it with technologies based on e- tr- electricity and generate the electricity um, using in the UK essentially wind farms um, now since those policies started to come on board which was in the uk was about 2003 up until the um the eve of the ukraine war electricity prices had doubled um so and the pain was starting to be felt by consumers and was starting to be felt by industry i mean essentially in that period a huge amount of UK manufacturing had had closed down. It had all it had all gone to the Far East, um, and it was really only the very high value stuff that was left. Then we had the Ukraine war, and energy prices went completely uh, through the roof. And um, at that point, people started to feel the pain really quite badly. Um, and you know, we're looking at another another uh, winter the same um in 2023-24 so the pain i think is going to be is going to be felt um quite badly and i think this is what is bringing people around Um, part of the problem is that that um you can't have cheap electricity if you want wind power um if you're reliant on wind power because it's so variable And because we don't have any technology that um, will uh, fill in the gaps when the wind isn't blowing, Um, it's essentially what um, what society is doing is it is going ahead and hoping that somebody will come up with something um, um, to store some way of storing energy so that we we have a a reserve for when the wind isn't blowing. Someone once said it's like jumping out of out of an airplane without a parachute and hoping that somebody invents one on the way down it's completely irrational um but that's what we're doing um so yeah the, the electrifying society then means replacing uh petrol and diesel cars um gasoline cars you would say your side of the the atlantic with um electric vehicles which um uh, again it hasn't been thought through. Um, the the uh, electricity cables under the streets, um, the distribution grid as they call it, won't take the amount of electricity that is needed to for everybody to be able to recharge their electric vehicles. So um, um, that policy is going to grind to a halt. We're supposed to um, re- replace all our gas boilers with um, electric heat pumps. Um, again nobody nobody wants to do that because it's um it's more expensive to run homes off heat pumps um than with natural gas so um despite the fact that the, the government is throwing huge bribes at people i mean you can get thousands of pounds um to put a heat pump in but the sums just don't add up people look at it and they say i will never make my money back even taking the the subsidy into account so that policy is going to grind to a halt too um and at the end of the, the pandemic and all the money that's been spent there, essentially the government is not in a position anymore to carry on throwing subsidies at people. Um, so we're reaching a crunch point now. Um, whichever government comes into power, they are not going to be able to carry on doing this. Um, so, um, But then they have to face down the environmentalists. And, and say, we're going to do something different. Um, and at, at the moment, there don't appear to be any politicians in the UK who are brave enough to do that.
1: You know, I, I can't help but be wondering, you know, also when you say the environmentalists, right, it, it's interesting to me because uh, the question around climate is not the same question, say, around pollution, for example, or. Um, You know the the great plastic garbage patch, or whatever, or great garbage patch of the ocean and the Pacific Ocean, for example, and these other things. I I, something that has struck me is that often the climate policies are somehow in contradiction with other things that I would consider to be environmental policies. Have you found that at all?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've always been bemused um, that. Environmentalists and um, environmental groups, if you like, non-climate-focused environmental groups, are so keen on um, renewables, for example, which um, have an awful environmental impact. So, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds um, um, is very keen on on, on wind power, um, but I mean, wind turbines famously kill a lot of birds. Um, now. People will argue about whether that's uh, more or or fewer birds than are killed by cats, but they kill birds. And they kill, um, because they're all, you know, certainly the onshore wind turbines are uh, built on top of mountains. They tend to kill sort of quite unusual birds, like sort of raptors and that sort of thing, the kind of birds that that, um, bird watchers care about. But nevertheless, they support it. And, you know, we're talking about covering a very significant part of the country um, in solar panels, which, again, um, um, is not um, great for the environment. And in, certainly in a, in a country as cloudy as the UK doesn't generate very much electricity anyway. Um, so, again, there's there's a, a feeling of irrationality about it all. The, the, the people are doing this because... They feel that they have to be in the global warming club. And to be fair, they will they will take a lot of flack if they, if they're not in the global warming club. So yeah, they they, they, they they fall into line.
1: And so and how does nuclear fit into this? This was the other thing I was thinking about because you have you know ostensibly, you know nuclear appears to be uh, a solution here to some extent, at least to the globe, for the global warming people.
0: Yeah so um certainly in in the UK there is certainly some feeling amongst um the government that it would be good to have more nuclear I mean certainly we we've had always had some nuclear and it um but it's quite old now and and it's going to have to close down over the next the next few years but um we have Shown ourselves to be almost incapable of building any more nuclear power stations here, partly because environmentalists um, oppose nuclear for again for reasons that that are not in, entirely clear and certainly can't don't appear to be entirely rational. I mean, nuclear is zero carbon, so um, you you would think that if you were very very worried about global warming, you would think that that nuclear power was a good idea, but um, we have two new nuclear power stations which um uh in in being built but they are hugely um over budget and are very problematic at the moment i must say my view is that small modular nuclear reactors of of the kind that you know there's there's uh, quite a few american companies are trying to build there's there's a few others around the world um, and rolls royce in the uk are saying they want to build them too these are probably a better bet um but um the environmentalists will fight like fury to prevent it to prevent it happening that said i think there is um uh, there there is a movement within um if you like the broader uh, environmental movement um that is pro nuclear and i think they are increasingly making their voices heard because um anybody who has looked at renewables in a serious way knows that cannot possibly be the answer now if we can get cheap modular nuclear reactors, um, then that should be something that sensible environmentalists and, um, um, if you like skeptics like myself, can both agree on. And that would be a way forward.
1: Well, and so this is the other question. I mean, when we were talking offline recently, you mentioned to me that especially since the Russia-Ukraine war, there has been kind of a shift in a very different direction. You've already alluded this, but I guess I wanted you to kind of quantify this for me a bit. Um, how are people starting to think differently? I mean, one particular thing which struck me was again Germany, right? Because Germany got rid of a lot of its power making ability, frankly, and and on top of that, you know, has this problem with getting the the Russian natural gas now, obviously. So. I guess that's causing a lot of people to think about their energy uh, use and their or their procurement of energy. Correct. I, I think um,
0: it was always um, very risky for um, countries in 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 Central Europe, you know, Germany, and people like that to rely so heavily on um, Russian natural gas, um, and then to on top of that for the Germans to close down so many nuclear power stations again seemed entirely irrational. Um, the result of it has been that, you know, with once the Ukraine war started, the Germans had to, um, reopen lots of coal fired power stations, um, which burn lignite, which is pretty much the dirtiest form of, 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 um, energy you can imagine. um, and that's the only way they've been able to 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 keep the lights on. But yes, it, everybody around Europe is starting to think rather more seriously about energy security, um, both in the in the sort of the military sense, in, in that you know somebody could could you know blow up your pipeline, as we as we saw happened in 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 the Baltic, um, or you know they it, it applies to wind farms too. We have lots of offshore wind farms. Um, if if yeah, Mr. Putin wanted to cut the cables that brings the power to shore. That would be trivially, trivially easy, and and nobody would be any the wiser who had done it. Um, so I think that is a very important aspect of um, that that needs to be looked at. But also the, the fact that, that as, as I've alluded to before, when the wind doesn't blow, um, where is the the energy going to come from? All across Europe, countries have essentially been going, "Ah, we'll have an interconnector to." another country and they'll send us some electricity but what we saw last winter was that when the wind isn't blowing in, in Britain it's not going to be the chances are it's not going to be blowing anywhere in Western Europe you, you can get wind lulls across the whole of, of, of Western Europe and there is essentially everybody is, is, is then in, gets into a bidding war for, for a very limited amount of electricity and you end up having to, to just shut things down um, and that's what's going to happen. Um, we're already spending quite a lot of money paying factories and things to shut down. Um, and we're all being told we have to have um, smart meters in our homes. So um, instead of your old-fashioned electricity meter, which just counts how many kilowatt hours you've used, you'll have a smart meter, which is connected to, to central government. And that will give central government the ability to switch off appliances in your home when the wind is not Um now they don't like to talk about it very much, but that is what they will do. Um, so your your uh, electric vehicle charger will switch off if the wind isn't blowing. Um, they can switch your fridge off for a few hours because you know maybe it'll be okay. Maybe maybe your 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 food won't defrost in that time. Um, and if push comes to shove, if things get really bad, they will be able to switch off your heating because you'll have you'll have um, a heat pump. And they can just switch that off. Now we can get periods of three weeks where there is basically no wind anywhere in Western Europe. I mean, I, I particularly remember the winter of two thousand and nine ten in in the UK, where we had temperatures that were, uh, you know, in, the, in sort of the range of minus five to minus ten where I live, for three weeks, and there was literally no wind, and. Obviously, this. I live in Scotland. There's no there's no solar power anywhere here um, in in the middle of winter. Um, now, in 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 that kind of weather system, everybody essentially would be switched off. I I shudder to think what would what would have happened if you were relying on an electric heat pump for the, for those three weeks. It, it really would be quite terrifying. But again, they're doing these things anyway because. That's what they have to do. It's it, it's it's that's that's what the the net zero dogma says has to happen.
1: Well, and the obvious thing I think of here at this point, uh, or maybe, maybe I don't know how obvious it is, but I've I've found uh, Michael Schellenberger's arguments in his book uh, Apocalypse Never quite compelling. That there's this kind of general idea that energy, just energy use. Overall, is something that needs to be reduced, and that this is just kind of a a process to get there. And of course, you know, he he will argue, well, energy use is actually what allows for human flourishing, right? So, so that there's this there's this question of ideology for sure. This is what you've been talking about throughout the interview. Yeah, um, I, I, Schellenberg is absolutely right,
0: um, um, and this is something that Alex Epstein of course, um, talks about a lot as well. Um, Energy is not just another commodity. It is absolutely central to having a civilization. Civilizations are built around energy. We have reduced our energy use um, per capita in the UK quite a lot because, as, as as I said before, essentially all our manufacturing industry has has um, gone overseas. Um, the other thing that that we've done here is that people have been forced to buy low energy appliances, um, which have been more expensive, but you save some money on energy. So that has been something that has been relatively painless. But those those, if you like, the low hanging fruit like that has gone now. Um, so um, it will be increasingly difficult to make that happen. And the reality is that, um the only way they're going to get energy down to the extent that that uh, they need to is essentially by rationing of one form or another. So i i I mentioned before that you know, uh, it, the the electric the electricity grid couldn't cope with everybody being uh, able to charge their electric vehicles. Well, in fact, they probably don't care because the, the, the conclusion is that well, not everybody's going to have an electric vehicle anymore, and and you know you will, you'll you'll ride on the bus or you'll ride on the train or whatever. Um, and for people like me who sort of live out in the countryside, I, I don't know what we're going to do. But yeah, ele- having personal transportation will be um, something that's restricted to the rich, I guess. Um, and the same for air travel um, and that kind of thing. And also, uh, you know, the po- poorer people will be paid to switch off when electricity is in short supply. So, um, you know, you, they, people are already being offered money in the UK to um, switch off their appliances when um, when electricity prices are high. Um, and yeah, that is not a world that I think most people want to live in um most people enjoy their you know their two weeks in the sun in the summer most people like being able to you know drive to visit family and friends um and 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 you know go off on camping trips and things like that um but these uh, environmental extremists don't want you to live like that and it's 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 disturbing because i don't think people realize what's coming
1: well the the corollary of everything or I guess the obvious outcome of everything you're describing is just a lot more government control and intrusion into the personal and private space.
0: Absolutely right. It, it, there is a, a big control agenda here. And um, again, there's, there's quite interesting um, parallels to um, uh, the pandemic again here because you know, we have this thing called the nudge unit um, in the UK, which is a, a um, Essentially, was a department of of um, the central central bureaucracy. It, it's now allegedly independent, but um, essentially, he's trying to apply the same psycho- psychological techniques to get people to change their behaviour in the way in which the bureaucrats think we need to change our behaviour. So the whole machinery of government stops um, stops being about serving the people, and it is about directing the people and controlling the people um so yeah it's 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 sort of soft control but also hard controlled like rationing and 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 you know switching off your appliances and that sort of thing and it's um yeah it's a totalitarian agenda um the you're totalitarian in the, in the in the strict sense of the word in that every single aspect of life is going to be affected by this this agenda so whether you get to go and see Granny is 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 gonna be it's gonna change you're not going to see your parents as much if they live 50 miles away because you're probably not going to have a car so it's going to be a major expedition if you go if you go to see your family um and i don't know maybe people will start start to live in extended families again i i, I don't know um but yeah it it's it, it's it's scary in a way isn't it
1: well, Andrew, this has been a fascinating conversation. A final thought as we finish?
0: I think the the climate and um, uh, uh, net zero agenda is going to be absolutely centre of the political stage for the next few years, um, and I think we are going to see politicians um, um, really um, having to twist, twist and turn to um, to keep on the direction. That they're in, and I think eventually we are going to see some U turns. So it's going to be pretty interesting.
1: Well, Andrew Montford, it's such a pleasure to have had you on. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you all for joining Andrew Montford and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kelleck.